I was just enjoying it as a reader, enjoying a nice story. As I read it and reread it, then I could see like the deeper meaning. And yet first you simply enjoyed it as a story. Exactly. (laughs) Oh, I love that. Hey readers, I'm Ann Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next, episode 249. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on the show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. Readers, do you remember the first book that made you fall in love with reading? For today's guest, an encounter with the Babysitter's Club number four, Mary Ann Saves the Day in elementary school, launched a lifelong love of reading and a special fondness for middle grade novels. Afoma Umesi is a freelance writer, editor, and children's book blogger living in Nigeria. I enjoyed talking with her about the benefits of reading middle grade novels as an adult, the books that shaped her as a reader, and reading the dictionary for fun. Yes, really. Afoma is a voracious reader of middle grade novels. Those are books with a target audience of readers around ages 9 to 12. And I have my work cut out for me to recommend middle grade books she hasn't read yet, plus one adult book that I think she'll love. Afoma shares a bunch of her favorite middle grade authors in this episode. Be sure to visit the show notes page to see the full list of those authors and the books we discussed today at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 249. We've got a transcript available there as well, if that is helpful to you. Let's get to it. Afoma, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Anne. It's so great to be here. Oh, well, I am so excited to speak with you today. Now, I know that you are a reader who has your own personal reading life that means a lot to you. And also, for many years, you documented this reading life on your Instagram account, Mm -hmm. which readers cannot look up today. And I was just fascinated by it. So first of all, your photos were beautiful. I love the variety of books. Oh, thank you. Well, they were so pretty. And I know Mm -hmm. that it is not easy to take simple photos that look amazing and make the books look good. I found so many good reads from there, but what I noticed about your reading life is that your genre distribution was different from most of the adult readers reading for their own pleasure Mm -hmm. that I follow on Instagram. And I was, I've always been so intrigued by that. And I'm so glad we get to talk about that a little bit today. Yay! I'd love to hear a little about how you would describe your own reading life. Well, right now my reading life is, if I were to put it like in percentage, I would say like 90% middle grade children's, maybe a few chapter books thrown in, but I would put all of them in like middle grade. So 90% middle grade and 10% adult. I read mostly middle grade books. I do love a good picture book, but because of where I live, I can't really get many of them shipped so easily. And it's just not the same experience on your iPad. So I do mostly middle grade books now. Some adult nonfiction. I haven't read an adult fiction novel in, I think, about a year. I have to check my Goodreads, but I think about close to a year. I haven't read an adult fiction novel. Many of our listeners know what middle grade novels are. That's a term that I'm used to throwing around, Um, Mm. but it's not a term that everybody is used to using. How would you define what you're talking about when you say you love to read middle grade literature? Middle grade books are targeted towards readers around that middle school age. So either 9 to 12, some of them 10 to 13, who are not quite old enough for young adult novels. So I read the entire middle grade spectrum, the normal middle grade books and the upper middle grade books. And sometimes I go a little lower into like chapter books, which are for like beginning readers. Books like, I don't know if you know about the Amelia Bedelia series. Oh, I know the Amelia Bedelia series. So that would be like chapter books. I go a little lower with chapter books and then I come up all the way to upper middle grade books. So that's my sweet spot. Those books for readers between ages 8 to 13. And I imagine that most readers, if they walked into a bookstore or even looked at their own shelves, you know the middle grade novels. You just don't necessarily think to categorize them that way. Some authors who have written middle grade have also written YA and adult books. I know we'll get into your favorite books, but who are some of your favorite middle grade authors? Just to give readers an idea of what we're talking about. One of my ultimate favorites, she writes upper middle grade books, um, Paula Chase. I love her work. I love Renee Watson. I like Hannah Han. Um, I used to think her name was pronounced Hannah Khan, but it's actually Han. I learned that from an audiobook. Oh, and I learned that 15 seconds ago. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, so she's good. 
I also like Jen Bishop. Oh, and Alicia Williams. She writes good books as well. So, oh, Laurie Morrison is also really good. I love her <laughs> writing. Yeah, that's just how it's going to keep coming. I love it. There's so many of them. <laughs> as there should be. I love how, as the authors you love occur to you, you, you go, ooh, wait, oh, ooh. <laughs> how it just brings up such pleasant emotions. Yeah, and recently I just discovered Jillian McDonald, and she writes beautifully about friendships in one of her books. And I just loved reading that. I don't know her. I would say she's a new-ish author because I think her first book was published last year, if I'm not mistaken. But her second novel is the one that I really loved. Um, it's called The Queen Bee and Me, but we'll talk about all of that later. But those are just a few, just a handful of my favorites. I feel like I should talk about some male authors that I like. I love Jason Reynolds. He's written the track series. His His writing is very punchy. It's just authentic, you know, it's slangy. It, you can hear the voices of the characters when he writes really good work. And for anyone who just jotted, jotted down the names of nine authors, that makes me think of something else that I really love about middle grade literature as an adult. Middle grade books are much shorter than mm-hmm. your typical adult novel. The word count is much, much, much lower, which means... You can read a lot of books really, really quickly. You can experience such a breadth of experience without sacrificing the depth. It's really satisfying for me to plow through a big stack of middle grade novels in a weekend. It feels just as good to me. It, it gives me a sense of like accomplishment and I just feel like I'm flying through different worlds. It's really nice. Yes, I love the way you put that. It's often hard to articulate why a certain reading experience is so meaningful, so satisfying to us as readers. But are you able to put your finger on some of the things that make reading middle grade so rewarding for you? I can think of a few. I'm quite anxious. (laughs) So adult books can be really heavy. The thing about adult books is that, of course, they try it. And I, I like contemporary, realistic fiction. So a lot of the adult books I was reading, they, they talk about real life and real life is unpredictable. And when you go into those pages, you don't know where you're going to find. So with middle grade books, it's very comforting to know that I will not be shocked in a way that's going to harm my psyche. I feel like I know what to expect. It's a cocoon and it feels really nice. So I know that, you know, worst comes to the worst. You know, the protagonist is having a really bad day. Everything's going to be fixed by the time I close the book. You know, the right the writer is going to make sure she has everything she needs by the end of the story. So I like that. And I think they also soothe my inner child and they help us like now in the present. It reassures me in ways that I didn't have when I was at that age. What kind of reader were you as a child? I'd love to hear about how you fell in love with reading. Yes, I was a voracious reader as a child. I loved all kinds of books, everything. Like I read the dictionary for fun. So I liked words. I enjoyed reading. When I was can, can, Wait, up, hang on. Tell me about reading the dictionary for fun. Great. <laughs> reading the dictionary for fun. I think it was about learning new words. I just found it so interesting that there were so many ways to describe one thing. And then you would read and... I enjoyed like I it was thrilling for me to find out if a word was a noun, a verb, and they had all those classifications and then they described it and they gave you examples. And I think what made it better was that we had a children's dictionary. I think it was called Scholastic Children's Dictionary and it had pictures. It was a legit dictionary. It wasn't like a baby thing. Like it was over like close to a thousand pages, but it was colorful and it had pictures so like you could read And sometimes you would see a picture of the thing they were describing. And I loved it. I read the entire thing. And then at the back, they had like flags of different countries and like their staple dishes. It was just a discovery. Like I still feel that sense of warmth when I think about that particular dictionary. So I was into everything as a child. Has that changed? It has a little bit. I don't read as adventurously as I did as a child. I started off with the usual fairy tale, the little books. The Red Hen, I think it's called Chicken Licking, Thumbelina, all of those fairy tale type books. And then when I got past those books, I kind of felt like I didn't have anywhere else to go because I grew up in Nigeria. We had books, but they weren't particularly exciting. Many of them were not exciting. So after the fairy tale books, it was kind of like there was no middle grade to go to. Mostly adult books and books that we were reading in school as part of our curriculum. So we had some other books, like there's this one called um, Born Without a Silver Spoon. 
And that was a book I reread like so many times because it was what was available and it was really enjoyable. It was like a, a really nice story. But from those books, I kind of stalled. And then I found myself in secondary school, which early secondary school, which is like middle school age. I found myself reading adult books like Daniel Steele, Barbara Taylor Bradford, because there was just nowhere else to go. So I was reading those books. I was reading encyclopedias. I was reading dictionaries just to satisfy that thirst for words and stories. What are some of the standout books from this time period that you still remember that have really stayed with you? So in my hunt for books, while I was getting into Daniel Steele, I remember a very, what to call it, a groundbreaking moment. So a girl in my class, I think I was in, we call it junior secondary school three, so JS3, which is kind of like toward the end of middle school for Americans. In that class, this girl in my class, she had this book. It was really old. The pages were yellowed and it was tattered. It was Babysitter's Club number four. It was Marianne Saves the Day. And I was like intrigued because I didn't have any books like that. I begged for the book and I started reading it right there in class. I, I almost got in trouble. That happened quite often. I took it home and I finished it in one night. I stayed up late, just devouring the entire story. And I was hooked. The Babysitter's Club was my entry into middle grade books. So I went back to school and I asked her, you know, do you have, like, where's the next one in the series? Because reading and getting to the end, I realized that, you know, there were more of these books. Like, you can imagine my joy. I was like, there's more? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'll go back the next day and I was like, so where's the next one? And she's like, oh, I don't know. Like, I think she picked it up at some secondhand books or something. Somebody gave it to her. Like, she basically did not have any other books. And I was crushed. I remember like thinking about the book over and over and wishing I had just like the next, I wanted to know what happened. And it occurred to me that, you know, the next book would be written from another character's perspective. And I just wanted to get to know all these characters. I'd only known Marianne and I felt like such a bond with her because she was shy like me and she liked books. And, you know, I just was so excited to discover more about these other characters, but that didn't happen. I think maybe I found like one of those super special series, but it's such a departure because those books, I think when you follow the crew a bit more, you can enjoy the super special ones, but I wasn't mm -hmm. quite attached to them as much as I was to Marianne Saves the Day. I mean, I still remember till this day that it was Marianne Saves the Day and she had those pigtails on the cover. That's kind of how I got into reading middle grade books. Well, I was a huge Babysitter's Club fan, although I was Ooh. older than you. <laughs> so when I read all the books, I think I ran out of Babysitter's Club books at about number 50. And then I had to wait every month for the new one to come out and go to the bookstore with my babysitting money and hand them my $4. I'm so jealous. Are you? Because I kind of think it was the worst. Although I did always have something to look forward to. Yeah, that's so nice. I wish I had that. You wish you had the experience of waiting month by month, month by torturous month? More like the reading 50 books <laughs> part, back to back. Now that I can appreciate. <laughs> but somewhere along the way, I gave my books away. And maybe five years ago, I got on eBay and ordered a gigantic case. Wow. It was somebody's childhood collection and 97 Babysitter's Club books showed up on my doorstep. What? But Afoma, I'm embarrassed to say now, it didn't occur to me to actually read them. The young people in my house devoured them, but I haven't picked them up. Should I do this? Well, you could if you wanted to. You don't have to. I think you're just like honoring the legacy of your childhood. I know I don't have to, <laughs> but give me the pitch. If you wanted to sell me on it, what would you say? Oh my goodness. It will take you back to like, was it the 80s? You get to meet these girls all over again and you meet them from the adult standpoint. So you like read about Chrissy and her spunky attitude and her bossy moves and then Marianne and you meet all the girls like for the first time again. And it's interesting because their entrepreneurial spirit is something that could make a comeback. Like I was reading an article today about how the, 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 the Netflix series might actually grow a new generation of babysitting. So who knows? I think it's ultimately going to be very enjoyable for you if you go back. It's going to be so nostalgic. Like it's going to just take <laughs> you back to where you were when you were reading them. Well, you've convinced me. I think I might need to revisit them after all. But what happened in your reading life after the Babysitter's Club, Afoma? For a long time, a really long stretch, there were no you know, middle grade young adult type books in my life until Chimamanda's book came out, Purple Hibiscus. And I was obsessed. Like I remember scenes in that book 
vividly because I read it so many times. And Kanbili was, you know, like she was real to me. I felt her pain with everything that she went through. I could immerse myself in all the scenes because it was also familiar to me. But at the same mm-hmm. time, it was like nothing I'd experienced from a Nigerian author. Like it was, it was well written. It was a real book. It wasn't like a hundred pages. It was like, you know, a, a proper book. And it was about this character. It was well drawn and her, her family felt real and everything was just really good. Like right now, you, you know, a lot of Nigerian authors like Chimamanda, and some others that, you know, they're mm-hmm. Nigerian originally, but, you know, maybe they grew up outside the country, all of that. But there are books by Nigerian authors, you know, mm-hmm. Nnedi Okarafo, other authors mm-hmm. like that. But these books are for adults, many of them. I think Nnedi has like a series for young adults. But before at that time when I was growing up, we didn't have any books like that. Like we had books that were kind of like chapter books. So they had the same number of pages, like chapter books. So they'd have like 100, 150 like the Born Without a Silver Spoon book that I was talking about, it was around that same page length, but it was so not like, it's not the kind of book you, you're going to give your six or seven year old, you know, very few pages, but for an older age. And so that's, those are the kind of the kinds of books we had. And we also had like um, the author Buchi Michita, because we read her books in secondary school. So she wrote books like Second Class Citizen and The Joys of Motherhood. And she was another good author as well, but they were really slim. So those are the kinds of books that we had good books, but they were just not what I was looking for. And they didn't have like children as the protagonist. They weren't targeted toward that age. To this day, we do not have middle grade books with Nigerian characters set in Nigeria. You mentioned that in the not so distant past, you worked with younger students. And I imagine that as someone who adores reading middle grade books, I imagine that you would want that for these students. When I was working with the middle grade aged children, I was living in the Caribbean, St. Vincent and the Grenadines. I did a summer reading club, but before then I tutored some middle grade students. One of them told me she actually, she hated reading. Like she just did not get the point of why she had to read. She spoke so well. She's very articulate when she expressed herself. So I, I just felt like she, she would be a reader. Like, I don't know. Like I just, I had that feeling and I made it my mission to make her love middle grade books. So what I would do, I would buy books and have them shipped to the island, which was very expensive. But I would buy like either on like um, Amazon or Book Depository or Thrift Books or, you know, one of those other books. We had this shipping system, like a shipping middleman. They had a U.S. address. So Amazon could ship to them and then they would ship to us. That was how we got books. I would ship the books and then I would kind of pitch the books to the student. And I'd say, well, this one's about this. I want you to try this. And I would kind of hype the book up. So I remember the first book I ever gave her was Tay Keller's The Science of Breakable Things. She loved it. She was obsessed after that. Like it rocked her world. And she was like, I need more books. Because she loved science. And that book is about a girl whose mother is depressed. But the mother is a botanist. The whole book is about the the scientific method about hypothesis and then experiment and all of that stuff. And it's basically her trying to find a way to make her mom's depression go away. My student loved it. She loved it. She was obsessed. Other books that I gave her and she loved were The Mysterious Benedict Society. She loved Mm -hmm. The House That Lou Built by Mae Rispicio. She would just read it and then she would give me a whole review on what she liked and what she didn't like. And I was, and she just transformed. And I saw the power of books. She came alive. She was interested in storytelling. Her English got better, like, because I was tutoring her in English. And she just got better at expressing herself. I think it opened my eyes even more. I was already in love with middle grade books at that point. But it, it showed me the power of having middle grade books, especially for kids who are at that age. There's so much mm-hmm. they see mirrored for them that it doesn't even impact me as much as it does them. Because they're living these things. They go to school every day. They have these friendship issues. So these books are so important. No matter where kids live, even if they don't understand American culture, these books matter to them because it's the same. It's universal issues, friendships, family, mental health issues. It's the same thing that these kids face wherever they live. So I did the summer reading club. I tried to put a few more books into these kids' hands. I tried to remember that not everybody has the same thirst for reading. So some older kids, you know, I would give them chapter books, you know, like Paddington. A big hit with the boys was, um, what's that book? The Mouse and the Motorcycle. But no, it, it was Ralph S. Mouse. I think that was the one we read. Many of them would still hesitate to read it on their own, but 
reading to them made a big difference. I just believe in the power of books. <laughs> and it sounds like it's contagious because yeah. they needed someone who <laughs> did appreciate what reading can do in your life to show them what the possibilities were. Oh, they were lucky to have you. I'm so glad you were able to do that while you lived oh, there. Thank you. So we referenced Chimamanda's, but which I refer to her familiarly. She's one of my favorite living authors, but oh. we both referenced her novel, Purple Hibiscus, because we both read it and know the story, but not everybody does. Would you tell mm. us a little bit about that book for readers whose ears perked up and might be feeling like they need to seek it out and see what it's about? Purple Hibiscus is the story of Kambili, and she's a Nigerian girl. She's very shy. She has a brother named Jaja. Kambili and her brother and her mother, they live with their father, of course, their family. And her father is very religious. So Kambili is very, very shy. You know, she's just very to herself. Because of the way things are in her family, she struggles like even with making friends. Her brother begins to have almost like anger issues because of the way the father treats them. So basically things change for her when they go to spend a summer with her Auntie Foma. So Auntie Foma has two children. She's a single mom. Basically, Auntie Foma's children and Auntie Foma herself, they sort of change Kambili. It's like a coming of age story. It helps her make sense of what's going on in her family. And it helps her to see if she can find a way out of that. It's so good. <laughs> but it is a far cry from the happy reads that you love in middle grade. Yeah. I think the appeal, because I remember when I first started reading the book, like the first time I was reading it, I didn't realize how dark it was until it hit me. Like, I, I don't want to spoil the book, but there's a, a scene where her dad does something really crazy to her. And that hit me. But when I started reading it, I loved it because it reflected my reality, not in the sense of the father and all of that craziness, but in the sense of Nigeria, Nigerian culture, Nigerian food, the way Nigerians talk, the traditional beliefs. It felt like home. And it was a young protagonist and she was shy and she was quiet. And I just wanted to know more about her. Like, and it was Chimamanda, like the storytelling gets you. So, and I was old enough. I think I was maybe 16 or 17 when I read the book. So mm -hmm. I enjoyed it as a book. And then when I got further in, I realized that this, these are like serious themes. I wasn't writing book reviews at that time. I was just enjoying it as a reader, enjoying a nice story. As I read it and reread it, I realized that there were deeper themes. Then I could see like the deeper meanings. And yet first you simply enjoyed it as a story. Exactly. <laughs> oh, I love that. Okay. You mentioned writing book reviews. That reminds me that I want to talk about Instagram. I first found your account on Bookstagram, which readers, we just mean bookish people connecting over books on Instagram. It's not a separate app or anything. <laughs> um, I first connected with you as a reader there and I found your blog and followed you over to Goodreads so I can still keep track of what you're reading, but you quit your Bookstagram account. I did. We get a lot of readers who come on What Should I Read Next or who listen and tell us Bookstagram improved their reading life. We also hear from a whole slew of readers who say Bookstagram makes them feel overwhelmed and like they're not good enough as readers. Mm. And yet we've talked to very few people, not that it doesn't happen, but statistically very few who just say, forget it. I'm out of here and sign <laughs> off. And yet you did it. I'd love to hear more. I loved Bookstagram. Like I love the pretty pictures. I met so many wonderful people that I'm still in touch with. And I do agree. It, it can be good peer pressure, so to speak. It can make you want to read more. It can keep you up to date as to what's coming out, what's happening, and you know everything with the book community. But my issue with Bookstagram was that it just started to feel too superficial for me. I felt like I was spending so much time taking pretty pictures of books and not even enough time reading these books. Like, it takes time if you want to like have a Bookstagram account and how many people follow you and how many, how much engagement do you get on a post and how many people are responding to your stories. And it just became so heavy. It felt like I was spending more time managing my bookish image than the amount of time I was actually reading or like posting reviews about books that I liked. And a lot of the times, like I would post a review on Instagram and I would realize that Nobody read it. Like they liked the picture, but they didn't read the review because that's not what they're there for. Instagram is a visual platform. So 
I had to step back and, you know, evaluate, like, do I want to do this? Do I want to spend my life making pretty pictures? Or do I really want to be helpful? Do I want people who need a certain book to find the book? Do I want to actually share a love of reading with people? And it turns out that I want to share resources. I want things that people are going to read. I don't want people to just come and like my pictures and, you know, comment and say, oh, can't wait to read this. It just felt like it was, can't wait to read this, can't wait to read this. But no actual engagement for me. That was my experience. My conclusion was basically, this is wasting my time. I need to focus on my blog. You know, if people are going to follow me, it was actually kind of like a test. Like how many people from this account are going to try to find my blog and read it? And it was like maybe 10% of people, which confirmed my theory. Because if I have 10% of maybe out of a thousand followers, just were they really connecting with me or was it just the pretty pictures? So I decided to just put my time towards something that was actually more meaningful for me. Now, I find that these days, and what I mean by these days is this climate in which Mm -hmm. so many people discover new books on Instagram, many people are afraid they just won't know what to read next. And yet that is clearly not a problem for you, even though you quit your Instagram account. (laughs) No. How do you choose what to read next? How How do you discover new books that are coming out that you may be interested in or old ones that you may have missed? I feel like books come at me, like maybe create a network for yourself. So like my Goodreads is indispensable. I don't follow like so many people, but I follow people who know what I need. So I follow Mm -hmm. a lot of librarians and bookish people who read the same things that I do. And they're always throwing stuff at me. And then on Twitter, I follow a lot of authors. And if I'm I'm really still stuck after both of those things, I just go on NetGalley or, or Edelweiss. Even if I'm not requesting the books, I just know what's coming. And then I can follow them over to Goodreads and kind of read the synopsis and see if it's going to be good for me. I'm inundated with all this information. Like, I don't know how people <laughs> say they don't find books. Maybe they don't have any other social media. But for me... Every day I find either a new book or an old book. I'm like, oh, I never saw that cover before. Sometimes I find even like an author or like I, I will be researching for a themed book list because I do a lot of themed book lists on my blog. So I'm like doing some research, middle grade books about mental illness. And there's just so many books. So maybe because my blog takes me to these things, I don't really see the need for the Instagram. And, and another thing I liked about leaving Instagram was the lack of pressure. Like I didn't have to read every book the second it came out just so I could engage. You know, I could read it whenever I was ready to read it. Any regrets? Not even once. When you first leave Instagram, there's a bit of FOMO. Like for the first week, I was like, what's everybody doing? What are they posting? Like I would still want to know what they were up to. But after like two weeks to a month, I don't even remember a lot of people I used to follow. I'm happy to hear it. And I hope many readers find that to be an inspiration. I'm not saying Instagram is bad, but I am saying that I see a lot of people feeling just overwhelmed by it. It's not helping them. And I love hearing about how it worked for you. And yet you're still getting the things you need for your reading life. (laughs) Speaking of what you enjoy reading, I can't wait to hear about your books. Are you ready to dive in? Yay, I'm ready. You know how this works. You're going to tell me three books you love, one book you don't, and what you've been reading lately. And we'll talk about what you may enjoy reading next. How did you choose these? Oh, it was hard. Because remember, when you first told me to choose, you were like, remember, it doesn't have to be your favorite favorite. It has to be just books you like. This is true. So my criteria was books I still remember vividly, even though it's been a while since I've read them. Books that made a good impression and memorable impression that's still on my mind, even though it's been a while since I've read them. That's one guiding principle. And really authors that I wish people knew more about. That was another thing. That's a lovely way to choose. Yeah. So that helped me. Well, I can't wait to hear what they are. What did you choose for your first favorite? Paula Chase's so done. So I actually cheated because this is a series (laughs) of books. (laughs) I see what you did there. I really wanted to pick this because I just read the third. It's not really a series, more like companion books. It's in the same universe, as she would say. So they're not like so much as following each other, but it's like they're in the same, they happen in the same universe. So you'll see the same cast of characters, but focusing on different people. So So Don is the first one in the series. Sodan follows two girls, Mitai and Mila. Basically, Mitai is a very 
opinionated, very strong-willed kind of friend. Amila is more like gentle. She won't talk too loud, but she's also determined. So there's a lot of like toxic friendship happening. Amila getting to use her voice and kind of create boundaries for herself with this friend whom she loves, but is not always right for her, you know, in every scenario. And these two girls are growing up in their neighborhood, which is called Pirate's Cove. It's a black neighborhood. It's low income. Um, they have challenges. They're interested in dance. Um, they both want to be dancers. And they have two other friends, um, Rashida and Monique. They're trying to get accepted to a gifted dance program, so to speak. And they're, of course, dealing with like their first crushes and relationship drama and who likes who. So it's like basic middle school drama. But one thing I love about Paula Chase's books, especially these three books, is that the neighborhood is so alive. So there's drug dealing in the neighborhood. There's people who are like, you know, serious churchgoers. And then there's um, also a bit of like consent issues and sexual harassment, things that girls deal with. Paula writes about authentic topics, things I don't see many other middle grade writers do, especially for black kids who grew mm -hmm. up in different neighborhoods to what many other people experience. Paula's books are true. They're authentic. I, I love the way she, she writes her characters. So if you open the books, you'll see them talking in slang. You'll see them texting each other. You'll see, you hear the way their minds work exactly true to them. She doesn't like polish their language or refine them so that they're more acceptable. And I think it will make her books very appealing to young children who are in that kind of environment and also teachers who want to understand those kind of children better, who want to see what they're coming from. Paula's books are very important. Ooh, that sounds good. And I love that you managed to sneak in three for the price of one there. I worked really hard on that. <laughs> The second one is called Doughboys. It's excellent because it's about boys and it's about drug dealing in middle grade literature. It's upper middle grade, but it's fantastic how these boys get into this situation and how one of them is working really hard to get himself out of that situation. It's, it's powerful. I love Paula Chase. That sounds amazing. I am making notes. Afima, what did you choose for your second favorite? My second book is Jen Bishop's Things You Can't Say. Things You Can't Say follows a young boy whose father has died by suicide. He's aware of this. He knows his father's died by suicide. But then mm -hmm. a, another man comes into his mother's life and he can tell that they have history, but he can't, he doesn't know what the history is. His mom is like whispering with this new guy and this guy comes, just drives in on a motorcycle, very cool. Um, but his mom seems to like this guy. He doesn't get it. But somehow in his mind, he starts to think that maybe the person who killed himself was not his real father and that this other guy is his real father. So it all comes from a place of he doesn't want to be the son of someone who's killed himself because he feels like maybe whatever depression his father had, he has it too. And then he'll do the mm -hmm. same thing in the future. And he just wants a different, you know, he wants a different option. So he convinces himself that this other guy might be his real father. And he starts this whole investigation and mystery. And of course, he has this new friend in school, this new girl who's also new to the neighborhood. They're working together to get to the bottom of who's this new guy? Was my dad really my dad? And in the midst of everything, he's tackling, still feeling the grief of his father, of losing his father, although it's been a few years. And that is kind of alienating him from his best friend, Filippo. They, they play basketball together. So there's sports, there's friendship, there's toxic masculinity. There's a father who's taken his own life. There's a mother, you know, who allowed her son to be the parent for quite a while in their relationship. And she's trying to like regain control over that. And there's library because he volunteers at the library. We get a lot of library scenes and it's just a beautiful, beautiful book. It's very nuanced how everything's handled and how the mother handles everything with, with the son highly recommended, highly, highly recommended because these things happen and children need support. They need to see themselves reflected in these stories. Yes, they do. And that sounds like it was beautifully handled for something that would be challenging for any author mm -hmm. to tackle, let alone a middle grade author. What did you choose for your third favorite? Now, this is a book that we share in common. I chose More to the Story by Hannah Hahn. This is like the feel-good story. It's a reimagining or a retelling of Little Women, which I have never read, but I was very excited to read this contemporary version. Four Muslim sisters, they live with their parents, but their father has to move um, to the Middle East for work. And just like in Little Women, one of the sisters also gets ill. She gets sick. 
and they have a cousin who's moved in from the UK. So there's a lot of all that happening. And Jamila, the girl who's, I think she would represent Joe in the, the original Little Women. She's a writer. She's the editor of her school newspaper. There's all of that sisterhood dynamics. Um, it's very much coming of age, very family oriented. And then there's a bit about, you know, being a Muslim, practicing your religion, but not in a way that the book is about religion or about being a Muslim. It's just like they're Muslims. It's part of their lives. It's not like the author spends like, ages explaining things to the readers, which is something I loved about that book, because there are religious middle schoolers who practice their religion. And at the same time, you know, there's so much culture and food. It's a really cozy book and there's feelings and sisterhood and normal bickering. And it's, it's really feel good. I really love that book. I, I feel really warm whenever I think about it. So that's my, that's my last pick. How did you choose the book that wasn't right for you? Well, it was very difficult because I don't like to review middle grade books negatively. Mm-hmm. I think because I, I love middle grade books, I respect middle grade authors. I feel like they're doing very important work. If it's not for me, then I just don't read it. But I just wanted to let you know the kinds of books that I don't like. And that's why I chose this one. Because a book can be really excellently done and still not be something that you enjoy reading. And that is fine. Exactly. So for the book that I did not like, which is Pax by Sarah Penny Packer, it's about an animal, this fox and this boy and his father. And it's just not for me. Like if you hear me talk about the books I like, I like books about people. I want to read about people, their experiences, their feelings. So that was why I chose Pax by Sarah Penny Packer. It's a great book, you know, well done, but just not for me. And if you're reading to find your happy place, then you want to read books that make you feel like you're in your happy place. Exactly. What have you been reading lately, Afima? Ooh, I've been reading a few really good books. I have read recently Stand Up Yumi Chong by Jessica Kim, which is about this girl who's interested in stand up comedy. Hilarious. Um, her parents want her to, you know, be a doctor or some other conventional profession, and she just wants to be a comic. And then she starts this whole lie that grows into a bigger, bigger lie and basically obliterates her summer. So that's Stand Up Yumi Chung. And then there's Keep It Together, Kiko Kata, which is very friendship based and boys and first crushes and, you know, but mostly navigating a toxic friendship. And I've also read The Queen Be Me by Gillian McDonough, mm-hmm. which was beautiful about friendships. Um, it's just two girls, Meg and Beatrix, who have been friends since they were in kindergarten. And Meg meets this other girl, Hazel. And, you know, Hazel is pretty cool. She's a bit quirky, eclectic. But Meg thinks she's, you know, she could be cool. But Beatrix doesn't like Hazel because Hazel has a voice of her own. And Hazel's moving to the neighborhood and Beatrix and her mother are trying to keep them out of the social circles. It's Meg being in the middle of these two girls and deciding, you know, where will she go? Learning how to be a kind person and also learning how to take yourself out of friendships that are not good for you. And then another book that I've read recently is Renee Watson's Ways to Make Sunshine. So that's about a young girl, Ryan, and her family. They've moved. They're dealing with financial challenges. And it's just, you know, Renee Watson's typical soulful writing it's, it's for a younger middle grade crowd because it has illustrations and everything, but I think it's also going to be a series. It's really good. Now I have jotted down all kinds of titles I want to read more of today or that are new to me, but mm. at the same time, I cannot resist saying that I adore Renee Watson and I'm glad mm. to hear that this may become a series. Yeah. What do you want to be different in your reading life right now? Nothing really, but I am on the hunt for good adult nonfiction. So I recently read Lori Gottlieb's Maybe You Should Talk to Someone. It's about her life as a therapist, her patients' lives, and how they intersect, and basically a full-on analysis and how we can be better with ourselves and our feelings. And I loved it. it. It's probably one of the best books I've read this year, and I'm all for books like that. I've basically been looking for another Lori Gottlieb in all the nonfiction. <laughs> <laughs> so I've set myself up for failure, but I really loved it. But I also love like food memoirs. I'm trying to read more of those and good nonfiction would be good. Very absorbing nonfiction. All right. We can do that. And also, I love that you like your reading life as it is. Yeah, I do. I think it's just fine. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so happy to hear that. Afama, we talked about 
some books that just sound incredible today. So your favorites were So Done by Paula Chase, all three books in the Loose series, Things You Can't Say by Jen Bishop, and More to the Story by Henna Hahn. Yes. Packs by Sarah Pennypacker is not for you. You'd rather read about humans than foxes. And then lately, you've been reading several great middle grade novels. You like your reading life as it is, heavy on the middle grade, and yet you wouldn't mind a good nonfiction recommendation. And then we heard over and over in the books you loved that contemporary, realistic fiction is great for you. And you love it when the authors tackle serious themes. You love great writing. And books about friendship. Yeah, I seem to go there a lot. All right, let's do this. How do you feel about a middle grade book about a young girl who desperately wants to become a writer and has has a lot going on in her life right now? Sure. It just came out this year. It's by KL Going. It's called The Next Great Jane. Is this one you're familiar with? No. Wow, I'm so tempted to just Google it right now. The Next Great Jane. (laughs) No, don't Google it because they're going to describe it better than I can. Okay, I just really enjoyed bringing this book into my home recently and sitting down and reading it in an afternoon like you can do with a great middle grade novel. This is about a young girl whose name is Jane. She lives in Maine in this tiny, tiny speck of a town called Wicket Harbor, which is a quaint little tourist town. On the night the story begins, she is beside herself because a very famous author that Jane really, really admires, whose name is J.E. Fairfax, is giving a talk at the local library. And Jane is dying to go and ask Miss Fairfax everything she knows about how Jane can become a published author. Because even though she's 12, this is what she wants to do with her life. And she just, she needs to know all the things. And she's just so sweet. She's just so sweet and young and innocent and plucky. But there's a hurricane forming on the horizon and it sweeps into town and knocks out the power. It cancels the author event, which- The author really gets you on Jane's side from the beginning because J.E. Fairfax writes romance. And so the event is aimed at adults and it's a cocktail party. And because alcohol is going to be served, which Jane is extra mad about because she's like, it's just a box of bad wine and like easy cheese and crackers. It's not like a fancy thing. Just let me in. She's so sweet. So she ends up climbing a tree and trying to sneak her way into the library where she meets someone who's about to become her partner in crime. Wow. But there's literally a storm blowing into her life, which is not only highly disruptive to everything going on, but an omen of change. Turns out that Miss Fairfax, and it's no coincidence that her name is Fairfax, you do not need to know a thing about Jane Austen to enjoy this book, but the author really, really loves Jane Austen, and she said that she didn't want to do a retelling, she didn't want to modernize any specific work, but she wanted to celebrate Jane Austen's writing by, and now I'm reading, by incorporating some of my favorite elements from multiple books and infusing the story with the same spirit that I enjoy in her work, which basically means that while Jane's life is a mess for a while, it just feels so exuberant and happy and hopeful the whole time. She makes a friend who turns out to be a nice guy. J.E. Fairfax is not what Jane expects. That sounds so good. Like, I'm into it. I'm glad. That's The Next Great Jane by K.L. Going. Fun, happy middle grade. For nonfiction, there's a brand new book out that I think may be a good fit for you. It's by the women of the Call Your Girlfriend podcast, which... Big friendship. Have you read this? No, but I've been considering it. I think I might get it. So this is a new nonfiction book. It's by Aminatu So and Anne Friedman, and it's called Big Friendship, How We Keep Each Other Close. Mm-hmm. I just finished reading this. It's not exactly like Lori Gottlieb's book, because I think one of the reasons that people enjoyed that so much and are asking to find another book like it is because it was so, so different. And the fact that there aren't any other books like it is what made it such a wonderful reading experience, which is wonderful until you try to find something else that where you can kind of replicate the experience. Oh boy, it's, it's, it's so hard. It's so hard. But what I like about this It is an exploration of friendship, friendship in general, and also the very specific best friendship, which is now 10 plus years old, between the authors. 
in some ways, it's a memoir of, of sorts. Mm-hmm. They talk about their meet cute, and those are absolutely the words they use to describe oh. how they <laughs> met at like a gossip girl watch party back in DC in 2009. They talk about their highs and lows over the years. There were a lot more lows than I expected them to be, or than I expected there to be, which I thought was really generous of them to share and helpful because something they say over and over again is we don't talk about friendship as a culture, the way we talk about other relationships and we don't study friendship the way we study other relationships. And so they do drop in these cultural commentaries and these social science tidbits that talk about the importance of friendship and what makes it work and how you can be a better friend. It's not a how to book at all. It's much more memoir If you approach it as a read-alike, I think you're going to be disappointed. Mm. But as you approach it as a story, but also an opportunity to learn something about the really important friendships in your life, Mm -hmm. which they're going to convince you that you should prioritize those a little more than you probably are. And I don't mean you. I mean us. I mean readers everywhere. Then I think you may really enjoy it. What do you think? It sounds good. It's been on my mind. I saw it in a newsletter, um, the Girls' Night Inn newsletter. I was not familiar with Aminatu So's background. I knew that they met in D.C., but mm-hmm. I did not know that um, she grew up in Nigeria and also France and Belgium. Yes, she did. Yeah. yeah, I heard that. And she's had cancer, I believe, as well. Uh-huh. Yeah, they talk about that a lot in the book. It was really interesting to me how they had very straightforward explorations of in their friendship, some issues that have come up is one of us has a chronic illness. Mm. And what what does that mean? How do you be a friend to someone who has a chronic illness? Yeah. One of us is white and the other is black. What does that mean? One of us has a very different family situation, family background than the other does. And how do you how do you understand where the other is coming from? How do you understand yeah. what they need in very different ways? Like a continuous thread running through the book is that at various times, Aminato's visa status was in peril and how her friends turned up to to help her like secure a job she needed to get the visa in the US and it's so even in the details of their specific lives there were so many broader issues that came up and they really dug in and explored them which is the same kind of thing Lori Gottlieb does in her book I will be checking okay. that out I'm glad to hear it okay I'm thinking Genesis Begins Again by Alicia Williams is right up your alley. Far too much so for you not to have already read it. I have. (laughs) And was it right for you? I have an interview with Alicia Williams on my blog. Oh, do you really? Yes. (laughs) We'll have to link to that in the show notes. It's a beautiful book. I read it a couple of years ago or something. And it was, I've never read anything like that. Like strong exploration about colorism this young girl just wanting to be lighter skinned and it's just powerful i love that book okay what about from the desk of zoe washington have you read that i have i loved it too i got an art (laughs) and i have an interview with janae marks on my blog as well (laughs) i worried this would happen how do you end up doing these interviews on your blog I just reach out to them. I'm just like, hey, I read your book. I loved it. Can I interview you? And they're they're very gracious. They allow me to do that. We'll have to share some of those. I do love that you have read all these. <laughs> Fills my heart with joy. Okay. Now, Jacqueline Woodson has a new book coming out this fall. Now, she's written all kinds of novels and all kinds of genres. She has a new novel coming out this September. It's called Before the Ever After. Mm-hmm. Is this one on your radar? It is. I think this might work for you. I think so too. Well, have you read Jacqueline Woodson before? I've been wanting to, but I just haven't. So this might be the one for me. I wanted to do Harbor Me, but I I don't know. I'm never going to tell you not to read Jacqueline Woodson. (laughs) And Brown Girl Dreaming is also really, really lovely. I'll, I'll read anything she writes. Not that that means you should read anything she writes, but I do think Harbor Me sounds promising for you. Based on what you said about middle grade fiction being your happy place, that might have given me pause. But then listening today to the books that you have really thoroughly enjoyed and appreciated, I I think Harbor Me would also be an excellent book for you to read. So this is a novel about another kid dealing with real life issues. And it's an issue that I've been really glad to see is getting a lot of play in fiction these days, um, especially in middle grade and YA. His dad is a football superstar. His name is Zachariah Johnson and his namesake is ZJ. He's Mm -hmm. the protagonist here. Because he has gotten so many concussions playing the sport he loves and the sport that's been his profession for years, he's no longer the father that this poor little kid knows. Mm -hmm. His dad spends 
hours staring into space or yelling at strange reasons or becomes violent with no apparent trigger. Mm. And they know why, but they don't know what to do about it. I mean, this is about a kid living with a hard thing and finding a way through with the help of his three best friends, the fabulous four. The way that their friendship is portrayed on the page is so, so sweet. I'm going to love that. I hope so. And what this book does so well is it shows how, obviously, the football player is horribly affected. But what this novel does really well, like so many middle grade novels do, is show how when someone is affected by something to this extent, it's never just them. It has a devastating effects on their family as well. And then the ripple effects through the community. There's a lot of sadness here, of yeah. course, but she does it so sweetly. And with this underlying hopeful thread, especially because she gives ZJ a community to help carry him through. How does that sound to you? Excellent. I think I'm definitely checking this one out. That's Before the Ever After by Jacqueline Woodson. Okay. Aphema of the books we talked about today, The Next Great Jane by K.L. Going. Big Friendship by Amina Tussauds and Anne Friedman, and Before the Ever After by Jacqueline Woodson. Mm -hmm. What do you think you'll read next? The Next Great Jane. I'm really intrigued by that book. I'm, I'm very, like, I'm going to look it up right now. I want to see what the cover looks like. I want to read the entire synopsis. The other two I had, like, a vague idea about, but The Next Great Jane sounds super. I'm so glad. I can't wait to hear what you think. And thank you so much for talking books with me today. Thank you too, Anne. Hey readers, I hope you enjoyed my discussion with Afima today, and I'd love to hear what you think she should read next. That page is at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 249, and it's where you'll find the full subtitles we talked about today, plus that transcript. Connect with Afima on Twitter. You can find her there at Afoma Umesi. It's A-F-O-M-A-U-M-E-S-I, Afoma Umesi. I recommend checking out her blog. Find her there at afomaumesi.com slash blog. Again, that's A-F-O-M-A-U-M-E-S-I, afomaumezi.com slash blog. Subscribe now so you don't miss next week's episode in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. We'll see you next week. You can follow me on Twitter at Ann Bogle. That's Ann with an E, B as in books, O-G-E-L. Follow me on Instagram at Ann Bogle and at our All Books All the Time podcast account, What Should I Read Next? Our newsletter subscribers are the first to know all the What Should I Read Next news and happenings. Sign up now, whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash newsletter to get our free weekly delivery. Readers, I wrote three books that I hope you will love. Check out my tribute to their reading life, I'd Rather Be Reading, The Delights and Dilemmas of the Reading Life, wherever new books are sold. Buying a copy of one of my books is also a great tangible way to support the free podcast we create for you every week. My newest book is Don't Overthink It, perfect reading for these pandemic times or any times. I hope you enjoy them. Thank you in advance. And thanks to the people who make the show happen. What Should I Read Next is produced by Brenna Frederick with sound design by Kellen Pekacek. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Rilke said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading,